Thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me on. We'll try not to keep you up beyond nine. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I, th- I might lose a little bit of coherence. Like, you know, sort of like half eight, I might start to... Is that because really... you're up early in the morning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, it's, it's one of those things, man. I'm up, at, I'm up at five, pretty much six days a week just to really get stuff done. Because if I don't get up then, yep. things will get in the way of stuff I want to get done. Um, so I just have to, and it just means I'm just, you know, I, I was an insomniac for like seven years as well in my early twenties. So, um, now that I do sleep and have a great sleep routine, I'm like, I'm always, I'm a bit militant about it. So, you know, that's fair enough. Yeah. I can completely understand the five o'clock thing. I'm up at five in the morning to do my exercise. Otherwise it just doesn't get done. There's so much that doesn't get done. If I, if I lie in bed and think about it, I always have to, it just hits my, it hits my brain that if you don't get up now, you won't get that done. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I'm up. You know? That's fair enough. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that getting up thing, do you think that's just an age thing? That whole, the whole, <clears throat> the whole idea of realizing that you're potentially missing out on a lot of things, whatever that may be for you. Do you think that just comes as you get older or is it, I suppose that's a question. Is it something you've always done, Dave, or is it? No, I haven't. I mean, I was, uh, for years I was a personal trainer. So early mornings were, were a part of the game, but, um, I didn't want to be, that wasn't, that wasn't through personal choice. That was because, you know, there was work that I had at that time in the morning. I'd have to get up and go into central London to see clients. Um, and like I said, I used to be a terrible insomniac. So sleep was all over the place. Um, I was just, it just came about literally trying to work out how I can fit in efficiently all the things I want to get done during the course of the day, you know, between my stuff as being a dad, looking after the dog, working with one-to-one clients. Um, I'm massively committed to my own physical performance and training, doing, you know, essentially treatment and meditative work on myself on a daily basis, researching, studying. It's like, I can't, I just, you know, the, the, the lockdown thing was some, my lifestyle went from being, I was working all the time and had the time to do so. And then I, I ended up being, as a lot of people were, a stay-at-home dad doing homeschooling and yeah exactly and we can you know chat that one through yeah and um i you lucky you know, people. So now and so my wife took a lot more of the role of working she always worked but she had to take more on and then it was like well if i if i drop if i've got to drop the kids in at school and i don't get back to the house till quarter past nine and then i have to leave again at half past two to go get them and then it's clubs and everything else i've only got five hours to get anything done so i just had to start getting up early i mean it's the only way i could get things done yeah one of my questions was and you, you've answered the question was whether you had kids yeah, and, got two whether, and whether or not that changed your approach to mornings or 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 or, or your approach to how your clock works on a day day-to-day basis because i know for me it definitely did and i'm going back 11 years now so my my eldest has just turned 11 a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and it completely changed my well the way i operated on a daily basis in terms of getting up and appreciating time that was potentially lost by not mm-hmm. wanting to get up mm-hmm. and that was that yeah. was my my trigger to realizing that getting up early and not lying in was a superpower yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, it, it is that it's just a time to get stuff done I mean it does get tiring at, at times but um 
yeah i am um, i literally i i just would feel like i've had half a day if i if i if i didn't do that and tick things off first straight away in the morning you know yeah i think i can get on board with that there are some weekends where actually i'm quite happy not to leave out of bed having had that kind of hamster wheel of the week where it is a case of right i'm up i've got to do this i've got to do this i've got to do this i'm home i've got to get this done and this done and breathe yeah but there are also those mornings where you think if i don't get out of bed i'm gonna i'm wasting time and opportunity here Mm -hmm. and it's finding that that sweet spot isn't it that balance yeah 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 yeah. i mean i joke with my best mate who's um notoriously up very late and and gets up late in the morning and i'll say oh you know sunday had a lie until seven which he just cracks up at but the very concept of seven being a lion but it, it really is and that's just that's enough of a reset it doesn't that one day a week if i do that it doesn't seem to disturb my my rhythm for the 5 a.m's or anything the rest of the week so um, yeah like you say i'm happy for that um that little spot of relaxation if you like yeah i think for me it's just nice not to have the alarm go off i just wake up naturally yeah, yeah, absolutely. I haven't used an alarm for five or six years. You turned off all your notifications as well, man. So yeah, no, nothing's yeah. pinging at you. Yeah, yeah, I've got nothing, <laughs> nothing shouting at me to do something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but what I found is that it was just so habitual Yeah, that I was just waking up at that particular time. I know it's, it's I will just have a disclaimer. We're not talking about five with me. We're talking half, six, seven. That's kind of my... Yeah. normal normal time to get up but i find it very difficult to go past that mm-hmm. yeah just natural yeah um, that's that circadian rhythm dialed in yeah it's, well not not out of kind of trying to do it just naturally as as it is a natural thing mm-hmm. um just naturally happened yeah um, can i just ask and just sort of digressing slightly but if i bring it back to your particular approach, Dave, to health. Let's let's just yeah. use the term health, which is a massive uh, massive scope to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where does sleep fit into that? And what is your approach? <laughs> I know that's a big question. <laughs> um, so, what is my approach to health, and where does sleep fit into that? Well, I mean, essentially, as, we, as we've discussed, I'm I'm a um, early to bed early to rise kind of guy now um that fits in with the fact that um you know of an evening i'm more interested in winding down uh don't watch a lot of tv not like there's no real stimulus to try and stay up I'm not really staying up to watch anything i'm not staying up to drink booze or do whatever it is i'm just it's a winding down um I tend to, I, I've noticed over the years, I tend to feel pretty kind of optimal if I hit around seven, seven and a half hours. Um, I haven't noticed that I have much higher productivity or energy if I really sleep consistently like eight or nine hours, which I have done before. Um, and like I said, for the the routine of getting up early is just, is really to get things done. And also, I mean, it's probably good to caveat all of this with the fact that it's, I, I established about a year ago or so that I'm, I'm ADD to some extent. So there's certain traits in what I'm going to describe to you, which are behavioral traits, which mm. I maintain a high level of focus on, which is one of the main focus, one of the main you know, traits of attention deficit disorder. It's not so much a, a, a deficit as much as it is 
a hyper focus in things that make you particularly engaged and happy. So health and um, the thing, you know, all things associated with that have been a major focus of mine for a long period of time because it, it keeps me very engaged and, and, and happy and exercise and training is a big part of that. Um, meditation is a big part of that. Um, trying to be uh, connected as much as possible with the natural environment whenever I can is a large part of that. Uh, fasting is a large part of it. Uh, to maintain consistently ketosis um, without um, having to be too militant on, you know, nil carbohydrate intake and that kind of thing. Um, if I fast a period of time where I can hit ketosis because of the fasted state, and then I eat pretty clean during my feeding windows, that's a large part of um, of my uh, process. A bit freer and easier on the weekends because it's just I'll have breakfast because we'll have breakfast as a family and, you know, we'll grab what we're having for lunch out and that kind of thing. That's much, much, much freer. Um, meditation I've mentioned is a big part of it. And, and what I do um, therapeutically for others, I, I, I consistently perform for myself on myself because I'm, you know, my work, my, my, the majority of my work these days, as it always has been, is a, is a one-to-one practitioner um, trying to resolve people's, ailments, dysfunctions, pain, anxiety, you, you name it. Like if, if someone presents to me and entrusts me with their time to try and help them, then I'm going to work out a way to help them. So um, what I impart to others, I, I practice on myself because it is one of the systems that, well, I've, I've stopped studying other people's systems a long time ago, but it can be applied to the self as well as it can be applied to another. Um, so that's part of it. And a big uh, one of the biggest parts of, health for me that I think is missing in the majority of, of the industry and people's general psyche is the role of um, subtle energy in the subtle energy body. And um, let's just say the, the frequencies that are available and that are a huge part of human health. Um, so that plays a big part of my, um, you know, ongoing investigation of health and wellness and, vitality and that kind of thing as well so sorry i thought you were going to say something sean no i was i thought you were <laughs> i'm just looking at you because you're yeah. uh, no no i was gonna say so i think and you may have already mentioned it because you run the academy for applied movement don't you and that's part uh, yeah, of your amen academy Applied movement neurology is um an education company that i have with luke sherrell my business partner and it's detailing the stuff you know therapeutic stuff that i put together over the years yeah so and is that how i guess i'm trying to work out how you came into doing that were you doing that alongside your personal training in and is that how you kind of fed into this healing bit where people were coming to you or did that come after personal training no it's pretty much um concurrent with with personal training um I mean, briefly, my background was that I, I experienced a um, big trauma, emotional trauma when I was like 17. I moved away from home. I was big into just generally speaking into exercise. I mean, I, was, I, was, I played basketball growing up at a high level, played tennis at county level, like my entire, you know, from 10, 10 years old until I left home at, at 18. I played, that's all I did was sports. And then I moved moved away I ended up having a I went to university 
ended up having something called spontaneous pneumothorax, which was multiple um, instances of collapsed lungs, um, had operations. That took me out of the physical game for a, probably about two years, I'd say. It was a very painful recovery, difficult recovery, two operations separated by a considerable period of time. And that there was an impetus after that when I was, I felt I'd lost my physicality and something that I felt very connected to. I wanted to get that back. And at the time I was like, well, what I want to live in a gym. How can I just be in a gym the whole time? And it was, well, become a fitness instructor and then you'll get a job in a gym and then you're there all day, every day. And then I ended up just the, the, um, the learning aspects, trying to just learn anything I could about the body. And it started from that perspective from exercise and training and weights and that kind of thing, hypertrophy and strength and that kind of stuff. I mean, the first time I heard anything about the nervous system was learning about strength, right? And then it just, that, I just became insanely focused on learning. And the more and more that I could consume, the better. And I became a personal trainer. And it was just one of those things, you know, as a personal trainer, when you see people with high frequency who um, are coming to you for exercise a lot of the time all the time they have medical and injury histories or they have current active injuries that they've just got to strengthen or you know whatever it may be whatever the advice may have been and so you can't really avoid it you can you're not going to turn away everyone who's got a sore knee or a bum back or whatever so I just wanted to again learn as much as I could at that time through movement um, to try and help them as best I could, because they were in front of me twice a week, sometimes three times a week, sometimes once a week. And I wanted to, I wanted to understand what was wrong. I wanted to understand how to resolve it uh, with them. That was movement that went into biomechanics. Biomechanics went into uh, basically functional neurology. I studied that for a long time through various people in the UK and through um, Z Health in the States, um, bits and pieces here and there. That then evolved into um wanting to get deeper again. And I started to look more into like an, in, more sort of integrative medicine, kind of functional medicine sort of approach. And all of these things along the way, they just continue to evolve because as soon as you have one set of questions, not answered, but you've got a grounding in, okay, well, I know I can work like this. Another question pops up and that subset of information that you have or those skills didn't fit for a particular case and you have to continue. And I've just never stopped. It's just a continue, continuous process because it makes me happy. That's the bottom line. That happiness is a really important thing. I think. Yeah. I mean, and I would imagine you're quite a curious person as well. Yeah. 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 You could say that. <laughs> the curiosity is, is <laughs> it's in a, um, a relatively small number of topics, but it's unending, which has been quite useful over the years, I suppose. So but then the sorry for I was going to say that. just a, di- a direct thing off that it, it's a small number of topics but we're talking about the brain the body and how it interacts not necessarily just internally but how it takes external you know kind of emotional you know stress you know all those things that come from outside but how the body deals with that through all of its different things and yes it is quite a <laughs> the human body is quite a narrow focus it's, it's obviously not um, yeah, right. <laughs> bearing in mind how little we know about the human brain yeah. um, in comparison to what we know about the universe and you know kind of how how lots of very complicated things work we, we, we don't know 
I say, we, we do know a lot, but we don't know everything there is to know about the human brain and how it works and how yeah. it interacts yeah, yeah, with the body. Yeah. And I think hearing you saying that, that's, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the kind of curiosity route that you've taken trying to work out why things happen. Yeah, I, I want to, I, like, the way I explain it is I've only ever, there's two things. One, I want to understand. I can't, I can't take it if someone goes, you just, just have to trust it, man. Like, I don't, we don't know. I'm always like, oh, there's a mechanism. We just might, we're not necessarily sure what it is, but there's a mechanism behind everything that we're doing. So I must find an answer or I must get as close to a mechanism that makes me feel comfortable enough that then that enhances my outcomes of what I'm doing. Right. Um, And the other thing is I just want to be effective. Like if, if someone's, if someone is entrusting me with their time um, to help them, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to be effective. So I'm always looking for the most fundamental, most um, causal systems, um, operations, mechanisms of how the body interacts with the environment, how it works intrinsically, extrinsically um, to be able to resolve problems. That's, what keeps me going if i if if i didn't have that you know that curiosity ongoing i would just be really bored i think that i i i could i can't imagine just just doing like for example just looking at things biomechanically and only doing things from a biomechanical model i can't i no no longer can imagine doing that because it's too narrow a focus for me it's like I just have, I have to try and understand as much as I can. And, um, yeah. and that these days is, I mean, now for goodness sake, like as we're doing this call now, this is how I do my treatment sessions. I work remotely over video calls with people wherever they are in the world. And I'm effective on a daily basis and it's madness, but that's how I'm doing it now. And I've evolved to learn how to do that and to be effective as I'm doing it now. And I've, tr- I continuously strive to understand a mechanism and allow you know try and teach others who are willing to entrust again me with their time to help them understand a process by which they can do it also and that process do you find that it's a question of so we've talked about a couple of things there the biomechanics it's not it can't ever be in isolation there's a, a neuroplasticity to, to delve into with terms of changing how the neuro uh, the neurological system is, is treating that area, especially if there's an injury, because the biomechanics often change because the body is very good at trying to save itself. So do you find it's a case of having to ask the right questions and then slowly unpick all the different systems and see where the crossovers are? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's exactly like that. Um, the, the The body, every individual holds all of the answers to every question you could ever have about their function. Um, It just comes down to having a process where you can reliably and in a structured fashion, find, find the answers to those questions. And then when you start to pinpoint things reliably and accurately, you can get to a point where you become very fluid with this and your attention is extremely focused and dialed in. You can become very effective at helping people get past their, their issues, whatever, whatever they may be. Um, to do that, there has to be a, a feedback marker. 
there has to be some feedback to know whether the thing that you're thinking about or touching or moving or challenging in some way, you have to have feedback to know whether that thing is actually the thing or is it associated with the thing. Yeah. And that ended up being the feedback of muscle testing for all of its, for all of its, you know, um, drawbacks. It's absolute magic as well. Like it's an absolute unbelievable window into the function or dysfunction of another human being. It's, it's absolutely valuable when it's, you know, when you are consistent with it and it's reliable and you're aware that it can be biased and you know how to work around that, um, there must be feedback. So the feedback I used to get from the body was observation of movement. But when you observe movement, you're only observing output. You can't really establish anything else. So then let's start assessing things more deeply. Let's do orthopedic testing. That's giving me information. But because a hip's tight and doesn't move in a certain range of motion or doesn't fire in a certain pattern, it's giving you some insight, but it doesn't tell you why. You can make assumptions based on anatomy. You might be right most of the time. Sometimes you won't be. It's those times you're not right that really bug me. So let's start looking at the control systems. What's the motor cortex up to? Let's check via the eyes. What's the sensory system up to? Let's check your balance of uh, hearing. Let's check the balance of smell. Let's check the cranial nerves. Let's check via smooth pursuits, what the protocol, the integration of the protocol cortex, how's the cerebellum functioning? That gives you further insight and information. And then you have to recall the anatomy and think, well, this links to this and that links to that and that links to that. I'll stimulate this pathway and hopefully we're going to see an improved output. But then you present it with something that I can't find out what's wrong with you from looking at how your eyes move or looking at how your fast your cerebellum fires in coordination or... So I'm constantly, you constantly need to, I was always challenged to have to, to look deeper. And um, then it went into, it went into touch. It went into scanning the system via reflex points and meridian points, acupoints and various reflexes, all identified by other people. Um, but I put them together in sort of like equations that when I stimulated these things in sequence, it would give me insight as to the gastrointestinal system or would give me insight into the circadian function of uh, there would be a say a circadian issue with the liver or something like that and then either way identifying deeper issues that i couldn't necessarily get from observational type testing and then it had to go past touch because certain things i can't access through touch so then i had to i started using thought and language and using the muscle test as feedback and now <laughs> now it's just exclusively thought and me using a structure that I've devised whereby I can pinpoint and, and establish the, the, the main things to work with in an individual based on what they're suffering. And now I just think about it. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, that's kind of like the, the curve, if you like so far. And I work a lot with like, you know, what people would call energy medicine. I, it's just, it's a term. I don't think of it so much like that. I, I kind of talk about it a bit differently, but I work with that, um, within that context somewhat again of my own what i've devised of how to do that um and yeah there we are so <laughs> i can't remember what the question was no no that's oh, that, yeah so just i'm going to come back to a couple of things that you said and sort of follow on from that but just to sort of rewind a little bit just to maybe provide a small amount of context is do you still do 
PT or do you exclusively now do, I suppose exclusively because you've, you've obviously got the education side, um, but do you do resolving problems with people, whatever that may be, kind of to help them overcome a particular issue? Is yeah, that- so, so I, the education side of things, we, um, all the courses are built. Everything that I, that I was going to build, I'm, I've pretty much done. Everything, everything else I teach now, I teach to existing students who've been through all the education and want to know where I'm at now. What are we doing now? How do we do more of that remote stuff? How do we do more of the energy stuff? And I do that in workshop kind of, you know, kind of formats. Um, and I keep up social media presence and that sort of thing for the, for the business. My business partner runs the ads and stuff, and we provide all that stuff online. That's all on, available online to learn a lot of what I've um, described the majority of the rest of the time I'm working one-to-one with clients in the capacity in referral on the basis of referral where somebody's heard or been told about and they, they get sent to me and I've been working, I've been helping people uh, historically with pain and chronic pain. I moved away from pain a little bit. Um, although it's, it's still kind of there. There's, there's a lot of people suffering pain. So it's still, it's still always part of the process. The last couple of years I've moved more into um helping people resolve the physiological impacts of trauma that they've experienced, the not emotional trauma and how that feeds into their current levels of dysfunction or their current, um, you know, syndrome or process that they're, that they're suffering. And I do that remotely over video calls. I also work with people um, uh, like remote personal training where I will coach them through what I consider the sort of movement practices that are good for longevity. So I work with people through mobility and flexibility routines in my own training. I do a lot of um, like I'm upside down quite a bit and just trying, I'm trying to focus on hand balancing as much as I can, which I don't recommend to anyone by the way, because it's a horrific emotional journey <laughs> of masses of frustration. Um, but you, you, when you learn from high level people, in that game, you learn a lot of really good postural work and, and um, again, flexibility and mobility stuff. So I, I do movement stuff for people. It's, it's always there. And if it's relevant to someone's condition or dysfunction, I will coach them through movement as part of, of what I'm doing with them in a one-to-one thing, yeah. You, you said often they're through referrals. So, I mean, how, how do people end up speaking to David Fleming? Is it so, because... They've tried lots of other things. They get them yeah, on the podcast. Totally. That's what they do. Yeah, they pick me up from these kind of podcasts. <laughs> um, it's um, yeah, I, I've for a long time, for, for whatever reason, have been attracted. You know, people as the end of the road guy. You know, I've been everywhere. I've tried everything. But okay, um, so I've I've been that guy for a long time. Yeah, um, I've been one of those guys for a long time, right? I mean, there's lots of people that that, that seem to be in that role. Um, and then when you do get changes and, and positive outcomes for people, they talk about it. You know, they, they, they tell others, oh, can you help my wife? Can you help my um, friend? I've got this guy, you know, whatever. So it just, it just seems to blossom like that. And from, um, you know, uh, putting, we've been in the education game now in the health fitness industry for, for 10 years. So, um, you know, there's some awareness of, of Amen, Amen Academy. Uh, we have an audience who is interested in what we have to talk about. And um, obviously there is an access point there as well for, for individuals who already have some level of trust in what you're discussing that maybe I might be able to help them also. So there's, you know, there's, that's, that's where I'll find 
the people that I work with. That trust thing you mentioned. Mm. So I'm, I'm very much, uh, I'm a nurse, so I'm deep into conventional medicine, but certainly when you're seeing patients, it's all about building a quick relationship where they have trust in what you're doing. How do you find that coming from a less conventional perspective, shall we say? How do I find that trust? What do you mean? Um, so you've got someone that's come to you. So you said at one point you were the last the last guy to come to. So people were like, well, I'm desperate, that sort of thing. Building that relationship quite quickly so they can trust you to open up, especially if you're looking at emotional stuff. Yeah. Um, well, it comes initially, you know, the initial contact when I'm talking to someone is you know it, it's just there's a there's a there's an uh, an eight capacity to to put someone at ease and to let them know that you're genuinely interested in helping them i mean yeah. and that i think i i i don't have to try that like i am i i'm there if someone is trusting me with their time and their investment to help them that is the bottom line that's what i'm there to do so i think they pick up on that quite quickly and i listen I just, I listen to, to, to what they have to say. And I, I think a lot of the time they aren't, people aren't necessarily asked questions and they didn't know that such and such might've been relevant. And yep. maybe um, in some instances, they, they haven't considered that what they experienced before, what they're now experiencing could be, you know, something that that's worth um, visiting. So I think it's, you know, there's a natural, um, rapport because I think people pick up that I generally am there to help um I'll always approach asking them questions if they're comfortable to explain um what you know what's going on a good example if I'm working with someone and they are describing um a, a what they perceive as a musculoskeletal complaint I'm going to get the details of that I'm going to ask how long they've been suffering with that um what sort of successful interventions they've had when it's come back what's been going on okay well what happened how long have you been suffering with that? About three years. Okay, so what happened three years ago? Was there an injury? Was there something that you went through in the go? And they start to remember and tell you. And then you go, okay, well, what happened before that then? Was there anything, was there any big stressful events that you went through? Was there any, you know, moments of marked emotional stress that you experienced before that? If you don't, would you mind, you know, you don't have to give me major details, but was there anything that flags in your mind you think might be relevant? And generally speaking, people are quite happy to, to open up. I make it very clear that I'm not, I'm not providing any psychotherapy. I'm not providing any resolution to their trauma. Yep. I'm going to work with their body on a, on a complete, they are completely unaware of, they are blind to the process when I'm applying my process. All they know is that they need to sit on the end of a video call. They've had a chat with me. I've made some notes with permission and I've thanked them for giving me their time and their trust to help them. And now I'm just going to get on and do with what, do what I do. And I'll give you a shout intermittently throughout the call where you might need to either follow a respiratory pattern or you might need to move in a certain way, whatever it may be. And I say, is that okay with you? Yeah, they go, that's fine. Go for it. And then we just, we get into it. And then when people start to feel change, um, it's a natural, you know, it's a natural evolution they're in. And also I have, there's a, you know, I don't know whether you'd call it aftercare, but I'm in contact with them the day after, the day after that, how are you feeling? Is there anything happening today i can give them advice on the fly of it over a text or whatsapp or whatever 
Um, and I think people like that. I think they just feel, you know, they will feel cared for because they are, yeah. if they're in, if they're working with me, they are, they are cared for until I provide some kind of resolution or until it, it will happen in a short period of time. If I establish that, I don't think this is something going to be able to resolve for you or with well, you. you. You just mentioned there that you could, you know, you can see a resolution after the completion of a video call. Am I, am, I, am I paraphrasing correctly there that you, from the start of a call to the end of a call, you could have fixed or solved a problem? Sometimes, yeah. That's, that's mad, isn't it? It's absolute, <laughs> complete madness. I totally get it. It's completely mad. Yeah, 100%. It's not always does like it, that. Does, it, does that freak people out? Because you've asked them a set of questions, they've provided answers, and then you've managed to resolve a physical issue um i don't know I, I i've not had anyone be completely weirded out or anything like that <laughs> i've had people being very surprised hmm. um but it's generally just it's generally quite a light kind of happy experience it's not so much there's not really a um i wouldn't say i wouldn't say i've noted a lot of weirded outness to be honest, uh, surprise, yes, but general, you know, people are generally pleased when they get to move past something that's been bothering, and then very, very quickly they'll forget they ever had it. So that's the other thing that that kind of occurs. That's good. That that's quite interesting because often with injuries, there is an echo of that injury, isn't there? Yeah. Um, which which stays, but actually, if they're getting to a point where that echo is going. Mm. Then that's I try, that that's healing, and then some. Does that does that make sense? Because yeah, I mean those kind of resolutions I have experienced many 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 times. Um, they don't, you know, it, that's not. I'm going to sit here and say that happens every single time. It doesn't happen every single time. Um, some cases you'll get. I'll get the. I'll be flying. I'll have been going for like you know over the course of a month. Maybe I've worked with, maybe I've, maybe I've done, I don't do a whole load of sessions. Maybe over the course of a month, I've done like 50 to 60 sessions or something remotely with people, every single one of them going really, really well. Get an email. Hey, can you help my such and such? He's got blah, blah, blah. I go, yeah, great. Let's have a look. <laughs> I'm on it. And then and I'm in. And then I do exactly what's been described and get nothing. Absolute zero response. Um, that occasionally happens, and it's from it's from those situations, first of all, that completely and utterly ruin my day and send me into a minor small depression. Yeah. But as I slowly come out of that, they're the ones that really have to challenge me to go, well, why? If there's a mechanism of action here for this being effective for everyone else, why did this individual not respond? So that does happen. Other people respond more slowly. Um, the more the older someone is that it takes a little bit longer. Um, yeah. So it, you know, there's great results, there's good results and there's the occasional non-result. Do you think, do you think there's an element of skepticism with some people in terms of this alternative here? Yeah, yeah, I reckon. Um, yeah. And I use the inverted commas there in terms yeah, of yeah. alternative healing. Yeah, because... yeah, yeah, man. It's, it's weird. Uh, it's complete madness. Well, I understand. I totally, what I'm doing is complete madness. And if I, 
would I, when I was you know when I was working once one in person and doing you know functional assessment of neurology and functional assessment of biomechanics and movement assessments and orthopedic testing and all these things and felt that I was extremely clever in doing so if I I never would have considered I'd be doing what I'm doing now I absolute no way I don't know what it is I don't know how to describe it I don't know if this energy stuff's even real absolutely not would not have been in at all so I'm pretty sure that's that there's people out there who like are giving it a you know well I'll give this guy a go because you've said he might be able to help I'm sure they may have that level of skepticism in them they don't necessarily make that apparent at the top of a call because they might consider that would be you know rude and at the end of the day they might consider that's probably it would set a level of tension right off the bat that might not be very helpful and at the end of the day they're paying me and they're there to to uh to see if we can resolve things so I'm sure people are skeptical um sometimes people say they'll ask you know is belief important and I just say, well, if we consider belief is the absence of all doubt, that's quite useful in any situation, right? If you are in a Absolutely. job interview, if you are seeing a medical doctor, if you are um, in a sporting event, belief, if you have absolutely no doubt, there's probably going to be a leveling up that occurs in your own yep. performance and outcomes, I say. So, if there is doubt in the system, if people are doubting the process, that's okay. Um, it can elevate a little bit of level of tension in them. That's okay. As long as I'm not sat there doubting everything that I'm doing. Yeah. It doesn't seem to matter. I can see that. Yeah. The thing that springs to mind there, and by going off on this small tangent, I'm in no way comparing <laughs> what is effectively charlatans um conning people um mm -hmm. just to make that clear but going back to the um the louis through documentary he did and i think darren brown did a version as well with these healers particularly mm -hmm. in the u.s on stage who effectively just con people and you know get people to be convinced that they've been you know healed and are able to walk and get up out of their wheelchair having never walked that's kind of where i'm getting the is there skepticism from because there's a lot of it out there in the world in terms of people will yeah. just have absolute belief in what they're saying and people are convinced by it whether or not it's true or whether or not it's effective yeah yeah um i you know it, I, I i don't i don't come across a bit as much i don't come across as much skepticism skepticism as you would think good yeah, that's that's it's just it's not something that I have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, if I did, you know, I, I often say, look, I'm not here to convince anyone of what it is I'm I'm doing. If you're open to it, if you entrust me with your time to help you, I'm going to give everything I can to help you. And I have a pretty high success rate of helping people. Yeah. And the, I think that some of the differences in what you're describing, like with um, what Dan Brown's done, I think I've seen Dan Brown do it on stage actually, where he's done the healing stuff. Yep. What I perceive is some of the difference there is that there's, there's a, a long, very, 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 very clever process of suggestion, which is going on, which is set up over an extended period of time and then delivered with flawlessly in a situation and you've got the group effects, like anytime there's a large body of people together focused on the same thing, 
there is a there's an enhanced effect group and that happens in other healing environments as well where you get the group effect where you know elevated healings occur the difference is if someone's come to me you helped my friend with such and such and they sit and I go okay what do you know about what I do and they go nothing mate I've just like I, my, my my friend said I should give you a shout this is what's going on okay okay cool and we sit and we discuss things I make my notes and I say listen I'm just going to do what I do I'm going to go through a process I'm going to try and work out where the problems lie in your body and when I've got that information I'm going to give you a shout I might need to get you to tap on your head you might need to breathe a certain way just give me your attention for two three minutes every like 10 15 minutes in the call is that all right they go yeah you're fine they are they are blind to the pro- they don't know what's happening mm. there's there's no i've not been through three hours of setup and suggestion and they've not come in via a certain route that i've made them come in by and they're picking up cues and etc cetera, etc cetera. they have no idea what's going on and i don't say anything like there's no you know it's not like i'm sitting um cueing the system affronting their system by like a talk therapy to make connections and change yeah there's no nlp going on i'm there. not, not doing that no i yeah. sit quietly with my mic on mute and their mic on mute so i don't get distracted and occasionally i'll focus on what i found mm-hmm. and they focus on a respiratory pattern and we're just you know there's some higher attention between the two of us at that time where they're t- tapping on their cells because it, it increases voltage in the system we've made a piece of electric material to capacity to do work it that that's all they know and then at some point we'll reassess okay just jump up move around just retest your retest your arm or whatever it is and then you know then they start to go you know yeah feels that feels different or or whatever it may be or maybe it takes 24 hours or 48 hours but they there's no i'm not i'm not spending weeks building them up to me being able to do this and then pow you're fixed you know so i think there's an inherent difference yeah do you find sometimes when you're scanning, so they've come for their right shoulder, it's really bugging them around, and you're scanning through, you know, oh, hold on a second, what's this? And you're gonna go, and you kind of go, oh, you've been troubling with your left hip as well, and they're like, oh shit, how do you know? How do you know that? Does that happen as well? Do you pick up other things that they haven't necessarily come in for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're an in, the, you know, you're an integrated system of systems. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna there'll be a number of correlations that will come up relative to what they're suffering at that moment in time, but. Again, I generally don't I don't mention it to them. I'll just go through the process and then at some point, if I think it's appropriate during that session, we'll reassess their problem and see if there's some kind of um improvement in, in what they've been suffering at that moment in time. Okay. I think I think that's a really good point. And it, it just sort of it's just settled there um in terms of what you were saying, in terms of people don't know what you're doing. They don't know the process. No. So your questions, it's not it's not as if they would all of a sudden go, ah, oh, I know why he asked that. It must have been because of this thing that happened. Mm-hmm. That's your thing and your, you're working that out in secret or hidden or yeah. independently to, 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 to them. And I think that's really interesting. One of the questions that I did have was around the idea of the placebo effect and the brain body, mind body connection in terms of, are people just convinced that they have a thing and are you just then unpicking that to make them realize that it was just the brain telling them something was wrong or a particular issue was there now I know so I'm gonna you can answer that but based on what you were saying I now know that that line of questioning that I had and the few notes I had probably isn't the case at all 
because mm. what's under the bonnet is never seen and that idea of suggestion is never there. So that would make that, wouldn't make that ever a, a potential issue in terms of that placebo effect. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they know nothing of what I'm doing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Um, I share nothing. I don't dig too deeply in information that I'm finding. If it's like, you know, traumatic history stuff, I don't go. It's not my business to go testing all the way down to find intimate details of what someone went through. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just enough information relative to what they're suffering that when we, we, when we highlight that white via the process that I use, which again is nonverbal resolutions are available. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I don't know how else to describe it. How long does this take when you're with the client? Yeah, it depends. Um, usually I'll work with someone minimum, minimum is an hour. Um, okay. Because it takes some time for me to investigate things and find where we need sure. to go. Uh, minimum is an hour sometimes it'll be an hour 15 um if i'm working with someone who one thing i've noted is if i'm working with someone who is what i term an, an extremely high responder that is just magic like you know everything's resolving really quick pow 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 yeah, yeah that yeah. can be very tiring for me i was going to um, ask about do you need to kind of just ground yourself afterwards yeah, so um, I never used to suffer with anything like that. There's people I work with these days, you know, uh, who become practitioners and they come from maybe like Reiki backgrounds or yoga backgrounds or things like that. And they'll say, oh, I'll, I'll take on the client's symptoms for a period of time or I experience in my body what they experience. And I'm like, that doesn't sound useful at all. Like that uh, just sounds, um, you know, there's people that do suffer that. I never really have. I've only suffered it occasionally. The only thing I suffer or I experience now is just that is the fact that I, I can't do any more than about four people in a day working now on this kind of information based level that I do, because it is, it does tie you out. Mm. Uh, but yeah. then that's why I've, I said at the top of the call, there's a big part of health in my mind, which is around subtle energy and um, uh, you know, essentially the mind and and understanding that they, you know, you have to uh, replenish at some point as well. So, so yeah. So, so counselors will have people they have a debrief debriefing with, so they can offload stuff mm. from their sessions. Do you have a session with someone afterwards, or is it just all self-contained? I tend not to. Um, yeah, I tend not to. I'll, I'll again. This is kind of what I'm saying with what I do. It's somewhat unique, I suppose, in the sense that in the morning I'll kind of what I call self-assess and I'll work out what my system needs. Yeah. To be, you know, as optimal as I can throughout that day, um, as a practitioner, as a as a person, as as a father, etc. Um, and if I'm consistent at providing that, and if I have, you know, good mitochondrial function, and I have low inflammation. And I am. Uh, I understand my emotions, and I'm a non non reactive, and I'm suffering minimal stress, etc. I'm in a pretty good uh, place to help others and to be a good version of myself. So I don't. I, I don't have an outlet as you're describing, but I guess what I'm what I'm doing is um, 
a version of that, I suppose. Suppose you, to, to a certain extent, you've just described the fact that you are your own outlet because of the way that you've <clears throat> approached your approach to life and the way you've got things set up that you're able to deal yeah. with that. Yeah. 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 There's a, you know, I've been, it's, you find that often with people in, um, in, in my game, you know, in the health and wellness, um, and in, you know, therapeutic alternative based therapeutic stuff, you find, uh, people have got into those games, those, those realms because they wanted to heal themselves of some trauma or some ailment or they wanted to heal someone close to them, help someone close to them. I use the word heal now because it just summarizes everything, but I never used to use it. Um, and so there's often the journey, you know, your own journey that you've been through. Um, <clears throat> and again, that's, that's for me, uh, with some, you know, some of my behavioral traits, I have a hyper level. I can maintain a hyper level of focus on certain number of things. Um, and they, they, they are majoritively, in line with uh, with health and wellness and and trying to evolve personally and spiritually and emotionally and physically so yeah, yeah. i suppose on 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 that thread and i suppose maybe steering steering away a little bit from you know kind of the the work that you do with with individuals <clears throat> one of the things i read in terms of the um the level 1 practitioner um stuff that you do on the, on the education side is something that I was really in. I was like, Ooh, I'd like to learn that um, is in terms of how movement affects the brain and how the brain affects movement is mm-hmm. what I think is one of the terms on the website in terms of the level one, in th- terms of the high level things you learn. Now in health and fitness, everyone, everyone knows that well, uh, it, it's understood exercise helps you feel better. So how movement affects the brain. That's how I looked at that. And how the brain affects movement in terms of how you're able to control, control your motor function, control your proprioception, and, and be able to <clears throat> move in a way that your body's supposed to, supposed to move. That's, I suppose, my understanding of it, and I suppose the, the fitness industry's understanding to a certain extent. What do you mean by that? in terms of movement yeah. affecting the brain and the brain affecting movement. Yeah. It's purely, um, born out of the, uh, functional neurological kind of rationale. Um, which again was very, when I was going through that sort of stuff, it was very, um, dysfunction orientated. So if there's asymmetry in the control systems, you have asymmetrical output to the motor system. Uh, you may have, um, inhibition over facilitation of the muscular system etc and if you can identify where those problems are you can utilize uh, for example uh, active joint mobilizations through complex pans figure eights multiple pans writing your name in the air with your arm that sort of thing because that will preferentially stimulate for example ipsilateral cerebellar pathways which feed across to contralateral motor system you're improving affrontation you're improving uh, you know, synaptic connectivity and information exchange, and you're getting an increased output to the motor system. And then you see that you retest and you get less pain, improved range of motion, improved muscle facilitation, et cetera. And that's, that's how that process works. Um, and you have various high order stimuli that you can use being the visual motor system and vestibular system, um, et cetera, sensory 
peripheral sensory stimulus that you can use to drive the system into a higher frequency of firing, right? So that's that's the underlying rationale of, of that stuff as it pertains to movement dysfunctions and, and pain associated with somatic-based pain, movement-based pain. But I, I met, I was doing that for a long time and then I met my business partner, Luke, and he had a background as a um, an acrobat and an elite level gymnast and a dancer. And uh, I was, you know, we discussed the sort of training that he'd do. And then, and he was just doing weights and stuff at the time. And I was like, man, why don't you use like your background and, and coach people to do this? Cause it's gonna, it's unique. And at the time we didn't know anyone else that was doing it. This is, you know, it's like 12, maybe even longer, 15 years ago. And um, then I'd start watching him move. And it just dawned on me, I was like, he's doing or gymnasts per se have been doing, or dancers especially have been doing their whole lives, they've been practicing complex motion. They've been practicing movement in such a way that requires high levels of rhythm, uh, coordination, accuracy, and that it's moving complex pans where the vestibular system's challenged, et cetera, et cetera. And they are different. If you put someone who's just weight trained next to someone who's been a dancer, and you would like to see them both perform a complex movement task, the dancer's going to win every single time because that's what their nervous system has been trained and adapted towards, right? So it just dawned on me that maybe we could include some of these concepts on a more gross scale within the context of exercise that, look, when you're just moving in these linear patterns, your brain doesn't really have to pay attention as much as it does if we challenge you where you're in a balance, you have to balance, you have to coordinate, you have to focus on rhythm, you have to focus on timing, et cetera. Um, so that was kind of what we were talking about. And the first thing we ever brought out to the health fitness industry was a program and a, a workout program, um, called the fundamentals, which was like a complex movement training program. We were like some of the first people on Facebook to advertise stuff in, in that space, you know, with, with like a workout stuff. Now it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and we worked with, uh, stunt men. We used the stunt guys who have a crazy movement skill, and we use uh, dancers and we use martial artists. And I started trying to learn from all of these guys. I'm like, how, how do you learn to do what you guys do and going through that kind of training? And you do note that there's like this, there's general enhancement of the motor system because what you're putting in is so much more challenging that what you get out is much higher proprioceptive output and control. And then you start to be able to interact with your environment in a way that you previously couldn't, right? So there's a sense to that as well as a feeling to it, an interceptive kind of feeling to it that goes with that extra receptive awareness. And um, so we talk about it in level one in the, you know, inverted commas therapeutic sense or how to use this for movement-based problems like ow or whatever it is, right? Um, but there's a, there's a larger scope to it in terms of complexity. And thereafter, it's looking at, you know, things like, you know, what we need to, what, what is useful to understand about movement and exercise is that fundamentally it's there to give you a healthy brain, right? Because, you know, interval-based training, aerobic training, they both do different things to the brain. Um, if somebody has suffered a mild traumatic brain injury and they've had activation of their glial system and they have sustained inflammation in the brain and oxidative stress in the brain, there are lifestyle interventions which are profoundly anti-inflammatory, such as, for example, higher intense interval training, because you stimulate the anti-inflammatory pathways and the rebound effect 
when you've got the hell that you go through and you're stimulating all of the, uh, the inflammation, you're re-inflaming the system, but then you get this profound rebound effect that's anti-inflammatory and the brain can begin to heal. And so there's all of this stuff together, all this, all these contexts together that I think are worthwhile understanding for people that if you want to have longevity and you want to have a life by which you're not going to, you're not going to just degrade because you think that's, well, I'm getting old. You have to challenge the system. You have to learn. You have to continuously adapt and learn. It, you yeah. know, people, it's the use it or lose it thing. It's the same. So that, think, that's that's what it all. That's the larger context of it, I suppose. No, it's, I, I, I'm completely on board with all of that, and that the idea of the the, the movement, and it, it brought me back to when we spoke to Toby Seeger, the parkour athlete, who you know, kind of they get hired quite a lot to work on films and be stunt doubles for for, for people because they understand. How, how how their body moves they can and do how anything to, they can yeah. do it all man it's amazing yeah yeah you can see why people say brush your teeth with your other hand yes yeah. it's a simple thing but it you're so used to doing it one way you start trying mm. to do it the other hand the coordination isn't there and it stimulates the neural pathways and all of a yep. sudden yeah just firing off lots of different things mm. it's performing things habitually or performing things in a way that form force you to form new patterns yeah yeah and i'm sure I'm sure I've read previously that, and this could be utter bullshit, I don't think it is. I'll just caveat before I say it. I'll cut it out if it is. Uh, No, no, it's fine. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure if babies literally go from sitting to walking and maybe miss out crawling, there is an impact on some of their developmental pathways in terms of, I think it was around algebraic equations or math equations or something like that. Do you know what? I'm going to categorically state you're absolutely correct. Yes. That's a relief. You're absolutely correct. And I was like, I'm sure I've heard that. And when you mentioned about performance and, and they've tested it in, sorry, sorry, Dave, my background is in education um, and they have tested it at certain, at certain levels and correlated it back to, amongst other things, whether people crawled. They yeah, did sure. things as well in terms of, <clears throat> of what age they started talking and what age they started doing other different things. But no, it's abs- you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I think so. If you have two children, you must have both. So I've only got one. I'm either sensible or not. I'm not sure. But you guys have both got two children, and you must have both noticed that the development developmental stages were different in both. So I've got friends that have had two children and perhaps the second child didn't walk as soon because the older sibling would go and get everything for them. So the necessity for them to go and do stuff wasn't there. And we just don't know the impact of that. And Mm. maybe we don't, but it's so, I think we're slowly pulling back layers on how important the neurophysiology is for the actual um, physiology of the rest of the body. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've got a I've got a theory there Paul. <laughs> I'm sure in terms of, you know, that thing about if you've got two and I'll be honest, I don't know anything other than having two kids. No. You know, so I, I can't compare that to, to having one cuz I, I I don't understand it. But I was fully aware when you, you are different with your second child because you've done it once and you kind of know what to expect and you've sort of learned some lessons but I was always very aware of not letting my second child 
kind of develop in a different way to my first, if you know what I mean. So the, that idea of not needing to walk or crawl because the elder one gets it. I would say, no, don't get it for him. He'll get it himself type of approach. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to sort of say I was in some way, some sort of superior parent, more just being aware of the impact of what you do on things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, I remember encouraging, um, <clears throat> you know, encouraging uh, as much, rolling about and crawling and investigating and climbing and being barefoot and all that kind of stuff as much as possible when they're, yeah. you know, when they were little, I mean, my second child was also um, a girl. So she just seemed to be a little bit faster and everything. So I didn't certainly didn't see any delayed, um, you know, delayed uh, progress in her, but no, it's very interesting with kids. And the more I learn about, um, you know, just the impact of, of what, children experience it doesn't have to be you know some horrific trauma it's you know things can impact and become ingrained in the system because it's about their perception it's their it's their perception of a situation not necessarily the details of the situation itself it's like why are you arguing guy why mommy and daddy why are you arguing so like we're not arguing at all like we're just having a uh, energy energetic debate or whatever but they, they if they perceive it as an argument they feel it as an argument you know and um it's it's interesting i'm sure if many people were to go back and you know actually discuss how they perceive things that their parents were doing assuming that there's good relationships and healthy relationships there to do so they might you know i think we'd all probably find that things weren't quite as we thought they were and maybe we've been holding on to a certain pattern or you yeah. know no absolutely and I, th- I think mm. it, it works the other way as well as parents and p- trying to understand and perceive the way that your kids are thinking about certain things because let's say they lose at a game or they you know, kind of, my, my eldest likes playing um fifa on on his nintendo switch and he gets in the, the worst mood ever if he loses a game or if he kind of he, he gets really angry if he misses a shot or doesn't do a particular thing and I'm guilty of saying Look, why are you getting upset it's not important but I realise it is important to him it's their entire world at that <laughs> moment yeah yeah 100% yeah and just that understanding and it, it, it does it does work both ways there yeah, so yeah, yeah. digressed up on the kids do you actually sorry looking back do you ever get to the point where you're speaking to to, to the adults or older people who it actually goes back to something that might have happened when they were young. In terms well, that of helps in their them finding a resolution the, of their problem, yeah. yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and that's that potentially is something that they've harbored or lived with for 30, 40, 50 years. Yep, um, it's wow. often not. You know, it's not a conscious decision a lot of the time, especially where people have had um, you know traumatic experiences um that that those experiences the more emotionally charged an event um the higher the impact you know and it's um it's recorded in the you know in the the deepest level in our Mm. physiology and yeah that can be harbored or um relevant let's say um for a lifetime yeah unless identified and 
resolved and or let go consciously let go but you have to know it's there in the first place you know yeah absolutely um sorry uh, we we moved moved on to talk about children i did have a question that came out when we were talking about yeah um talking about movement in, in the mm. brain and we talked about all the different uh sort of the gymnasts you know the parkour athletes the stuntmen um how how do you train so i current my current training regime um is a mixture of um, hand balance, which, again, I'll, I'll say I don't encourage anyone to get into on an emotional level because it's so frustrating, such a long journey. Um, physically, it's very interesting to go through. Um, so I'm, I'm a mixture of hand balance. Um, I train plyometric, more plyometric based for my lower body. I'll still back squat. That's pretty much the only weight training I do anymore. I just back squat relatively, you know, relative terms heavy. Um, and I do a lot of joint mobility and flexibility work, um, with, you know, with a general kind of longevity in mind. And I'll also do, um, accommodating resistance. So I use bands to train for, um, more sort of muscle hypertrophy and maintaining, uh, the muscle mass that I have now. Um, and occasionally going through periods of trying to boost a little bit and gain a kilo or whatever, you know, nothing major because, that's hypertrophy in my body, but that it's a mixture of that stuff. And it, that's a, I've recently went through about 10 weeks of training twice a day, four days a week and, and once a day, twice a week. And then having just a day where I was only stretch. And then now I've backed that off to just training once a day. So I go through periods of really intense high volume and trying to really, uh, especially when I'm trying to learn a skill, mm. um, lots of frequent practice, um, I don't, I just don't tend to do that much weight training anymore. I just, I find with the bands using combinate resistance for that kind of thing, like, you know, pump muscle based hypertrophy stuff. I can, it's like 15 minutes max, all it takes and I'm done. And it's, that's just yeah. so much more appealing these days. Yeah. Have you had injuries you've had to work around from the past? I'm sorry if we asked that question. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I did have, I did, um, I think I had a AC injury in my right shoulder. I might have had a labral injury tear there as well. That was a fairly major one. That was when I was going through a period of time thinking that I'd like to try Olympic weightlifting. And I did, and I did lots of it, but I really sucked at it. Like it was, I was never really particularly good. Um, so I did injure myself doing that. The only other injuries I've had, I, I think I have had L5S1 a couple of times. Um, I don't know if Bulger or whatever it was, but I'm pretty sure I've injured that a couple of times historically when I used to deadlift a lot. Um, and I've been, I was in pain, uh, like a sacroiliac lumbar pain complaint for about two and a half years. And that was, the, I was only in pain that I just couldn't work out how to fix it. <laughs> and then in the end, when I worked it out, I fixed it and I've never had it since. Um, but that's the longest period of time. So I've had chronic pain. I understand what it's like when I work with people. I understand the frustration. Um, so they're, they're, they're the two main things. And, the, you know, the lungs were, were, were pretty limiting for a while, like with these pneumothorax yeah. complaints. And, yeah. Did they find out what the cause of that was? It was just literally oh, I was tall and thin. That was the that was the only <laughs> explanation I had. I was like, well, I'm pretty thin, but I'm not particularly that tall. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it. You know, it was a it was a weird a weird time. 
I wanted to circle back to something we were talking about earlier when you were talking about um, not needing to necessarily have downtime after you'd had um, sessions with people. But clearly, you are able to pick up on people's energies and vibrations, I would imagine, quite well, especially if you're able to scan them. Do you find you have to be cautious maybe may not be the right word, or mindful of the people you surround yourself by or with because you might pick up on their energies. Does that make sense? I've, I've done that for years. I've, I've been quite, yeah, I, I mean, that's not anything to do with um, my role, you know, yeah. working with I mean, other people, like trying to help them heal and stuff. There's nothing to do with that. It's just, I've just... I'll tend not to waste my time and energy on someone that's not necessarily beneficial in some way, you know, spiritually, emotionally, et cetera. Cause I mean, some people are just dickheads and it's clear they are because of the way they speak and their body language. Whereas some people are very good at coming across as being quite nice, but actually they, if you're attuned to it, they can give off some quite bad energy. And I just wasn't sure whether you picked that up. I'm not, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm not. not particularly attuned to that. I, I strangely enough, I'm not. Um, I'm. I'm quite. Um, I'm quite trusting, I suppose. And it's more. It's normally someone else has pointed out to me. That's not a good egg, man. Don't like. You know. Don't, don't hang. Yeah. Don't hang on such and such. So I'm not particularly attuned to that. Interestingly enough, I've had to. Um, which is again that kind of ties back into this whole process. Like I never ever assumed I'd be doing the kind of work. This has never been an innate thing for me. Like, yeah. you know, um, in the whole like energy circles people talk about sensitivity and you have like the sensitives who just feel everything if absolutely all the time just feel it i feel i feel your energy i feel everything all the time and then you've got like the plank of wood and i was the very i was woody i was very woody <laughs> like felt nothing experienced nothing when i do you know when i, I start working like this um some some sensation awareness has gradually built but that's kind of the point i've had to have a feedback marker and a structure yeah. to follow to be able to do this kind of weird stuff that I do now. So it's not, it's never been an innate thing in terms of my sense, the, the sensory aspect of it. I think, yeah, sorry, Paul. In some respects, I'm almost more drawn to yourself if I was going to be drawn to someone that's innate or someone that's kind of learned the process. Because actually, you can explain everything you do through the foundations that you've built along the way. Does that make sense? As it's opposed to just going, yeah, yeah, totally. As opposed to, well, it's just how I feel. I can just feel, you know, I think. Yeah. You have to resonate with that. Don't you? You have to, feel there's a lot more, uh, I think there's a lot more trust in someone. You go, okay. Well, I can see the processes you've gone through that. I can see the logic behind that as opposed to just having the faith in someone that goes, well, I just feel it. And I think, yeah, 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 totally. Uh, I get that. And there's, uh, I th to be honest, I think that when I teach the stuff that I do now, people from both camps, whether they're the sensitive or whether they're a bit woody, they appreciate that because it yeah. gives a bit of a grounding to it's a transparent logic. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, I'm not like gifted, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I've worked this out. 
and there's mechanism i think to it and i seem to have developed a process by which is 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 you know fairly perhaps that's your gift is the fact that you have been able to work it out yeah potentially yeah i suppose it is i just don't let things go <laughs> like if i'm into if i want to know i won't let it go so yeah yeah and i guess there's there's always more stuff to work out as well yeah man totally. well ross ross said you were doing a functional medicine masters at the moment is that right uh so right up until lockdown i was going through um what is termed and i think it's called integrative medicine I, I did a bsc a few years ago in holistic health science or something it was called and then it was an msc in natural medicine which i'm halfway through okay. and that's supposed to take me through to a, a phd of the same you know title re- relatively but then covid happened and i just i just had to stop i just i didn't have the hours to to give to that and subsequently i haven't picked it back up yet it's a distance learning thing done at your own pace which is a double-edged sword because there's no pressure no so i haven't picked that back up but in that time i one of my one of my major major like sitting looking at the sky thinking type of interests is what is termed um unification of physics theories where people are trying to tie together quantum physics and uh relativity so functions are very small and functions are very, very large yeah. and bring those back into uh, often what is a unified field model. That's something that I've spent quite a considerable time pondering and thinking and ultimately provides now the, uh, what I perceive as the most logical possible mechanism of the madness that I do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but my intention is to pick up the MSc again and at least finish that. The idea of a PhD, like if someone has a PhD and I meet them, I just go, wow, you stuck at something for a really long time, like fair play. <laughs> but well <Yeah>. done. <laughs> I um, do I yeah. do genuinely think just going back to that, that idea and you know the, the quantum theory of gravity, let's 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 throw in. Um I I hoover up hoover up books about that. Mm. And I do think let's say we find something um, that does unify um, the theories of what we know to be true and real and existence, it potentially will answer a lot of the questions on why the things that you do actually work. 100%, yeah. Um, What I do is considered part of what would be considered psi phenomena, which psi phenomena is considered inherently unscientific because it isn't explained in the current structure of science like it is there are there are no answers for it and um the you know it's non-physical phenomena i'm using thought um to to basically help people change remotely irrespective of distance and time so yeah it's there is mechanism to it um and i i believe the mechanism lies in in uh unified field theory and the large context of what that ultimately means for us as human beings. And uh, yeah, I think if the scientific world ever does settle on, on that um, and is able to categorically show this is how things work, then all of this stuff like resonance based medicine, information based medicine, those are terms that are going around a lot at the moment. There's a lot of technologies that are being developed around those, those contexts that will become hopefully just part of the process of, of, uh, helping people maintain health and helping people get past disease and dysfunction. Definitely. And I mean, 
you know, Da Vinci had all these ideas that he couldn't fully explain until centuries later. But actually, he was proven right. So, yeah. Watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, by then, they'd have worked out time travel. They can bring it back and say, look, it, it worked. Yeah, what's that? There's a physics joke, isn't there? What do we want? Time travel. When do we want it? It's irrelevant. Yeah. I think it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> How do you um, modulate change between um, acute and chronic or general health and high performance when you're talking to patients or clients, I should say? Mm. Um, I don't do a lot of acute at the end of the day um you know that's if someone has you know it's a broad it's a very broad topic isn't it you know acute injury dysfunction etc i'm not you i'm not the top of the list go to if someone you know i'm not in a physical therapy role or a chiropractic osteopathic role or you know a, a, a medical based role so i'm not i'm not massively in the acute world but when it comes to chronic issues and performance, they're kind of the same thing at the basic level until you reach a certain level. So yeah. clearing dysfunction is inherently performance enhancing, right? If you've got, if you've had issues that are limiting you yeah. and you clear those issues, you have a high level of performance. Yeah. And therefore you, you know, it's the same thing. If you get to a point that there are no, you know, you're, you've, you've dealt with historical injuries, you've dealt with um, emotional significant events and the effects of those, and you've done all that stuff. It becomes, um, yeah, it becomes more in the, I guess, in the elements of the minutiae, you know, like if it comes to, you know, elements of strength and conditioning, trying to gain those actual little bits of power or speed or... Um, yeah, I wondered whatever, whatever if maybe... You get the high performance athlete that's looking for that. So they're already the tip of the spear, but they're looking for that extra 2% that takes them right to the very, very tip. I would uh, reckon they, you'd probably have to deal with stuff that they haven't looked at. That's yeah. opposed to trying to add more fuel to the fire. You know? I know when England won the Rugby World Cup in 2003, they did a lot of visual and spatial training that no yeah, one else yeah. was doing at the time and found that a massive... Um, benefit because they were just looking at all those intangibles and it goes back to that David Brailsford quote of improving a hundred things by one percent as opposed to one thing by a hundred percent yeah I was just just curious and I wonder if as it becomes more into the foreground of health and science whether people will come in to you and say could you help me with this or see what you can find yeah, potentially. I mean, that hasn't been a that hasn't been a huge focus really over the years of um, the stuff I've done. It's always been more kind of helping people get past things they're suffering. Um, but as I say, even with athletes that I have worked with, if they're struggling with something that's been going on for a long time, and we begin to resolve that through the process of getting to know them, then you tend to uncover other stuff that they haven't dealt with, and then that in yeah. itself obviously is performance enhancing as well. Because I would imagine. Someone like an F1 driver or someone that needs to have really acute hand-eye coordination 
would benefit from the the neuromuscular connection that you're able to pick up potentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's, you know, there's there's the functional neurodoctors out there doing that sort of stuff with um a handful of people, like some fighters and some um, you know, high-level sports people. One of my um practitioners, uh Mark Jones, he has a clinic in um in Exmouth, uh 360 rehab, I think they're called. He uses uh right eye software which I can't remember what it's initially developed for. It escapes me right now, but it's a basically a hardware system that will give you data and uh, norms on eye tracking pursuits, of cards, fixations, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then it gives you a printout and gives you like left, right asymmetries and balance of, of brain function and everything. And he will um, utilize that as a foundation to then apply certain interventions, training, you know, alterations to people's lifestyle and stuff. So yeah, there's, um, there's lots of, of kid out there that can, can really help with um, putting data behind that stuff as well now. Mm. It's just the, it's the application, isn't it? It's, it's, I suppose something that's not as widely understood by society is always going to limit the application. Yeah. Yeah, in yeah, terms sure. of the, the, the wide appeal. But I do go back to, and I think we spoke we last year, um, we spoke to, who did we, who did I, who was the podcast for? Well, I asked the question about Wim Hof. Oh, crikey. And I was um, like, oh yeah, I did. the Wim Hof stuff always pops up. And, you know, that I'm was not really um, sure. Aaron with his yes, Aaron's, oh, yeah, it was, yeah. Um, and Breathing. It, uh, and cold water um, yeah, exposure and things as well. <laughs> Wim Hof's on the TV doing that now. Yeah. He's actually on like primetime TV doing it. Give mm. it 10 years, David will be on ITV. Exactly. That's my point. There you go. You'll be the doctor on this morning talking about... Uh, yeah. Having finished his PhD, he wasn't sure he was going to do or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me another 10 years, I might. There's um, one thing that had quite a profound impact on me um, was uh, a book called The Energy Cure by um, Bengston. And Bengston, I think, was a sociologist. He was a hard science research-based guy. The story goes, he bumps into this, um, he gets to know this other guy who's one of these like sensitives, feels everything, says he can heal, says he can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Bengston's like, no way, don't believe you. He starts to demonstrate some of his psychic ability and all these things to this guy, Bengston. Bengtson finds it very interesting. He finds out the guy, can, the guy can heal other people as well. He says, that's very interesting. Will you be the point of research for us so we can find out what's going on? He didn't want to do it. So Bengston ends up learning how to do the healing that this guy does and became the source of research himself. He then went on to, uh, in controlled settings, take laboratory mice, inject them with a form of incurable cancer, which kills 98% or something. It kills 100% of the mice that are injected, obviously incurable. And he sits and he puts his hands around the cage. I think he went in once a day and I think he did an hour or something. And he just focused on his process. He sits and he does it and cured 98% of the mice of incurable cancer in controlled conditions. And not only that, he did it reproducibly and he also started to, all the other laboratory animals through what he termed sympathetic resonance, also started to show improvement in whatever it was they were they had going on and he showed his research to you know the the the, the people that matter in the world of like but you know biology and, and medicine etc and he got laughed out of the 
out of the uh, out of the out of the interview. Like it was, it was they just thought it was ridiculous. So it was like that. It was, he was, there was a quote. He said somebody spoke to him said that's the most interesting thing I've ever seen. Never speak to me again because people are too worried about their own reputations and what this if that works, what that means, and that kind of stuff. Absolutely fascinating. At that book, I was like, well, if he can do it, I wonder so if I can do it. Yeah. And so I wanted to work out my own way. How can I put my hands near someone and affect anything at all, right? Not touching them. How does that work? And there's another book, um, The Scientific Exploration of Qigong. By, and it's, it, the focus of the book is a, is a, a Qigong uh, master and a, a, some kind of Chinese doctor. His name is um, Dr. Zhang Jing. And he has been studied in controlled settings reproducibly, affecting the radioactive decay rate of radioactive isotopes by qi emission, of miraculous healings, of um, influencing random uh, number generators. You name it. Like they've tested him and he's done it. And there's not, there's, this isn't like a, this isn't standard practice of qi practitioners. It's this guy. It's this one guy who's like unbelievably skilled at what he does. And it's been fully studied, like to the nth degree and analyzed that these things are happening. He's doing it. I'm like, well, that's interesting. If he can do it, mm. I wonder if I can do it. And yeah. I developed a process whereby I just started trying. And there's a process I go through visualization. I studied for about 18 months of different kinds of energetic um, modalities, found the commonalities amongst them all. Um, which are very, very simple and straightforward, started to apply something that I felt was um, Im important relative to what we've just, well, what we've touched on in terms of unified physics and uh, unified field model, which is to do with toroidal topology. And I'd focus on that and I started to see things change in people. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I wonder if I can do this again. And then started working again and again. And then I thought, I wonder if I could teach someone else to do it. So then I taught practitioners that were already part of my system. Hey, listen, I've started playing around with this energy stuff. You do this, this, and this, give it a go. Let me know what happens. And then every single person I've shown it to will get the same result and get the same experience, which I find interesting. There's no variation because between the hands, people feel a pulsation of magnetism. It can only be described as a pulsation, a dis initially disorganized sense of like a magnetic kind of field. And then as and when things improve, it starts to cohere and pulsate. No one feels tingling, no one feels heat, no one feels cold, everyone feels the same thing through what I've described to them, to the process which I've described them to, to apply. So when you start looking, man, there's some like, the, the research is there, data is there. Um, the, all kinds of evidence that you can ever want is there, uh, but it's just, it's not part of the, you know, current scientific model. So therefore mm -hmm. it's, it's too, too scary and weird. And how do we apply that to the masses? And that's the thing you kind of can't, it's very individuated and, and you can't yet. You can't yet. It will, it will take, take, it will take resonance based technologies that mm -hmm. will, uh, can do that on mass or without the need of, um, you know, a skilled and focused practitioner. That's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because if a machine can do it, people will trust it. But if a person yeah. is doing it with the hands, no, yeah, they must be trying to trick me. Yeah. Two things strike me there. <laughs> One, you've given the recipe. So in theory, if they follow the recipe, they should all get the same outcome, which is what they've been doing. So you know the recipe's bona fide, if that makes sense. Um, and two, how much does money pay play into the desire to not have this on a wider scale, to keep it hidden away from yeah. modern 
effective medicine. Yeah. Which I've put great stall in, but I think there are other things. Pay your wages, Paul. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very tricky one. It's incredibly weird. There's many, many um, biases and stuff to get past initially, um, you know, in the broader audience. It, it it's a tough one but um it's just it's so interesting and it's so rewarding and it's um i wouldn't be doing it if there was something that was more effective that's the bottom line for me so yeah yeah it's an inherent part of what i of my approach and it's it's helped me evolve personally in 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 many ways that i i i'm very grateful for so i think i think i would love to sit down and and just to have that session with you just to because there's part of you that curiosity goes I've had injuries through sport I wonder what you'd pick up because I'm sure there's a whole lot of dysfunction after 44 years of life going on in this body but because often it's an insidious thing you don't necessarily recognize it as a dysfunction until it creates a bigger problem down the chain does that make sense yeah it's whether something, um, you know, whether uh, I, I call them historic injury patterns, they can be, you know, musculoskeletal, they can be emotional, they can be subtle, they can be infection-based. It's whether they, they're relevant and active, you know, at periods of time. You know, you can go through issues where there's a certain high and load of stress and, I don't know, the, the old knee starts to bother you again, where for months you had, weren't aware of it, you know. Things become relevant with the ebb and flow of life, and I suppose... Um, you know, that's when, you know, people will seek out, out help and stuff and you start to pick up on the the, the correlations and the history and, and help them clear it. Yeah, and I think it would be really easy coming from a very traditional medical background sort of profession to go, it's all nonsense, but actually I think this stuff has been around for so long. There's a reason it's been around for so long. And to be... Um, naive at best uh, and not exclude uh, and, and not include it would be foolish so i think if anybody's in doubt they should definitely um check you out yeah where can people find you david uh so we have uh amenacademy.com the website we are on uh facebook amen academy and instagram um amen academy um i also have uh live well die well on instagram I'll live well to die well on Instagram, which is another um, sort of personal brand I'm very slowly uh, putting together, <laughs> which is going to be more in line with um, a book that I'm kind of a third of the way through writing. So uh, that's that's pretty much everything. You can find me on those uh, on those platforms. Um, our education stuff is available through Amen Academy. Um, and yeah, I'm available for if anyone feels I can assist them in any way. <laughs>